In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, all of you who know Christendom uh, would know Chris Burns. She was, she was one of the original faculty members of Christendom when it was founded. So then she was Chris Popick, um, but uh, she's dear. And, and if you are um, of the Christendom community, you should know that the Gennaro's father, so John and Walter's dad, is also very close to death. So pray for the Gennaro family too. Rejoice, O Jerusalem, and come together, all you that love her. Rejoice with joy, you that have been in sorrow. The fourth Sunday of Lent, Letare Sunday, commands us to rejoice. And even if we've thought of this before, it seems most appropriate to think about it again. But there's a big difference between being joyful and being happy. Perhaps to oversimplify, or maybe to stumble upon the heart of the matter, happiness is about what's going on in you. Joy is about what somebody else is doing. Happiness is an emotion, right? Joy is a gift. You've heard it said before, unless you haven't heard me preach on it before, that the missionaries of charity have a rule. They must be joyful. It is an obligation. And St. Thomas Aquinas explains it well enough. Joy is what follows from works of charity. Remembering the goodness of God, which is to say to remember the past acts of God and to remember his promises to come. When we visit these things, we tend to receive joy as a gift. That does not mean that we manufacture joy. It means that we receive it. And that's so clearly the case when we acknowledge our experience and what the prayers of this Mass Articulate, which is the joy experienced by those who have been in sorrow. And it's not just the intuit, the collect. Grant, we beseech the Almighty God, that we who are justly afflicted for our deeds may be relieved by the consolation of thy grace. Joy is even more obviously a supernatural gift when it visits those who are downtrodden, who are in sorrow, who are afflicted. And so, while we are commanded to rejoice, it doesn't mean that it is principally our work. 
We won't be able to receive the gift of joy unless we do something, but we aren't the ones who are creating joy. That's an important distinction. Maybe you've had an experience of being the recipient of a perfect recipe or the beneficiary of a perfect regimen from a doctor, physical therapist. I have two recent examples. I won't inflict both of them on you. Where your activity is essential for something good to happen. But as it's happening, you understand that it's not your activity that's creating it. You're just simply lending your effort to somebody else's masterpiece. Playing a beautiful piece of music. It's an everyday example, perhaps. And I mean playing it with an instrument, not hitting the button with the triangle and the pointy thing pointing off to the right. Like actually playing music, not... Um, playing music. A recipe that someone gave me for the soup supper on Friday was, it, 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 it was a masterpiece, obviously. It's idiot proof because it survived me. I even, I even burned the beginning of the onions at the bottom of the pot and someone after mass this morning asked me if I had smoked the crab meat. But it was, it, was, it was intense labor for several hours, which is my fault. It should have been moderate labor for four or five hours instead of frantic labor for two hours. But it was obvious. I had, I had no concept of why this was going in now and why that and what is that going to turn into and why are we doing this now and that looks gross and this smells strange, but... It was, I'd, it wouldn't have happened without my effort, but it wasn't mine. I didn't do that. And so the, 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 the Lord has, he has a program for us. It won't bring us joy unless we commit to the program, but the joy isn't something that is our creation. And therefore, we, we don't own it. And it's also the case that there's no shortcut, right? If we were the ones creating it, if we were the ones responsible for it, we'd be able to find some other way to get it rather than through going through the program.
The gospel today isn't only about our Lord's supernatural power being manifest. It's the magnanimity of God that's on display. His, his goodness overflows to all of these people. Even the people who will abandon him the next day for good. This is John chapter 6, remember. They made the effort to follow him, to come to that part of the edge of the Sea of Galilee and to stand for a long time, to listen to him preach. So long, in fact, that it would be too late for them to go back to their homes. They made a great effort. What they would receive, this bounty of God's goodness and being fed miraculously, isn't something that they did. Unless you're a modernist who thinks that the miracle was that Jesus just convinced them all to share the food that they all had in their back pocket. But then you wouldn't be here. So, um, Their effort made them present to be witnesses of God's power, God's grace, God's generosity, his overwhelming generosity. Joy isn't just the recognition that God is good. We, we, are, we are joyful when we, all, we almost want to laugh at how good God is, at how generous he is. It lifts our spirits. It doesn't just give us encouragement to just keep on persevering. It, it changes our actual experience of being alive, even when we are in pain or afflicted or still aware of our wretchedness and our, our need to be saved from sin. St. Thomas More beautifully in uh, Sadness of Christ, which he wrote in the tower awaiting his execution, is a, is a beautiful stinging rebuke against so much of our laziness and our, the comfort with which we just simply pray from a seated position instead of kneeling, or how we just we confess our sins without even crying. We can add to the list, we haven't recognized God's joy unless we're almost brought to laughter. The overwhelming generosity of God is surprising. There's one element of it that comes across that we confront without um, without always knowing what to do. It came up in a uh, recent conversation. Yes, I am referring to that email where God even gave Holy Communion to Judas at the Last Supper. God feeds these thousands, and some of them will abandon him the next day when he preaches on the bread of life in the synagogue in Capernaum. 
God's overwhelming generosity is not just setting the stage for punishing them even more the next day, but God's generosity overflows to everyone. What his purpose is, is worth thought and prayer and discernment. One aspect of it touches us immediately, and that is that you can't be joyful if you begrudge God's generosity to others. How often does that come across in the Gospels? All the time, right? The, the vineyard workers, the prodigal son. And remember when our Lord is telling a parable, he is describing something ridiculous in order to communicate something about the characteristics of God the goodness of God, the charity of God, the mercy of God. The reasonable ones in those two stories, the vineyard workers who worked longer, the good son who never left, their responses are perfectly reasonable. They're the only ones in the stories whose behavior is reasonable. They become the object of derision by Christ, the teacher, because God's goodness, his magnanimity, his generosity so far exceeds what is reasonable. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. His generosity to people who don't deserve it has to rescue us from thinking in ordinary, char- char- in ordinary categories. Thinking like, how does he rebuke Peter? Thinking like men, not like God. So, yes, that evil, wicked person who ruined your family or ruined your career or hurt someone you love or did whatever else, God's God's magnanimity even comes down upon them. And, And we pray for their conversion. We pray for their repentance. We don't unilaterally forgive them. We We stand ready to forgive them if they repent. We want to be able to forgive them. And in the meantime, we don't have to want good things to happen to them because good things are going to happen to them anyway. We have to not be upset when good things happen to them. We have to not be upset when they get that job. or survive that disease, or fill in the blank, don't get what they deserve. We want them to receive more than what they deserve. We want them to receive the mercy of God. We do want them to repent. 
which doesn't mean that we want them to be treated as they deserve. We want them to be treated better than they deserve. And that goes across the board. It is impossible to be joyful unless we smile on God's munificence to everybody. To me, that's part of the the majesty of his feeding the 5,000, feeding the 6,000. He's feeding bad people. He's, he's feeding people who came to make fun of him or to just test him or to trip him up in an odd question. He feeds them too. So we know we need to run through our paces. We need, to, we need to follow the program, acknowledge our sins, repent, go to confession, make reparation, worship God, be thankful for his goodness, and praise him and worship him for his goodness, even to those who don't deserve it, more than we don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. So rejoice. Make the effort to recognize what God is doing. And be glad. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.